All right. Hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very extra special podcast episode of Gay Men Going Deeper. This is a bonus episode that we are bringing to you. And we thought we'd bring a little extra flavor, a little extra spice and invite some new people into the mix. So today we have the awesome Stefan Lovegrove, aka America's Life Coach. He's been seen on the LA Times, NBC, CNN, MTV, ABC, and all the alphabets uh, and much, much more. So Stefan, how about you jump in and go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody, who you are, what you're, what you're all about and all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, my name is Stefan. Uh, like perhaps the CW vampire is a slightly more gay reference or like the NBA player, which is a slightly less gay reference. Uh, I am a coach for entrepreneurs and entertainers. Uh, and really what I like to do is have conversations about things that matter, conversations that move people. Sometimes I do that with clients. Sometimes I do that on uh, television. I like how you put that. I'm going to own that on the alphabet of television. Uh, and sometimes I do that on podcasts, which is always a juicy way to dive in. So Happy to be here and excited for the conversation we're going to have. Awesome. Well, I'm so grateful to have you. And yeah, I always look at the, all those letters and like, oh, the alphabets of television. Everybody knows what you're talking about when you say the alphabets of television. So very grateful to have you on today's show. So I want to dive into things. How did you get started in this work? And in playing in that, what was kind of your biggest breakthrough or aha moment that you had for yourself when you were starting off? Yeah, well, it's interesting because there's so many angles that I could share that story from, but me being a gay man really was at the center of the story because I grew up in very, very, very strict fundamentalist religious cult in the Southeastern United States, where obviously being gay was not in fact celebrated, but very, very shamed and, and looked down upon. And so that was the first two decades of my life. And that was where everything started for me. And I find myself in college trying to find my way into a foundation of self-love, trying to figure out how to, to be who I am, how to love who I am, um, how to even figure out who I was at that time. And um, there were a lot of tools I used, you know, I got into meditation around that time. I was doing four years of therapy, uh, and right in the middle of all of that coaching entered the equation. Uh, and it was actually a gay man, Jordan Bach is his name, who was the first life coach. Do you know Jordan? I've interviewed Jordan. I love Jordan. <laughs> so I didn't know what a life coach was. I came across Jordan and uh, again, I just think it's a really beautiful thing. Jordan was the, the one who you know, there's always a higher paradigm that we've got to shift into when something needs to heal, right? And Jordan was so far beyond the paradigm of being gay is not a sin, which was the thing I was trying to overcome at the time from religion. Jordan was in this beautiful, you know, way higher paradigm of, you know, being gay is this beautiful gift and expanding the consciousness of love in the human experience and in this universe. And anyway, Jordan was so good for me, introduced me to the realm of coaching. Um, and yeah, in the midst of that, I realized that coaching had the ability to move people forward in a powerful way. Um, so that is, that is how it all started for me. And I think, I think the biggest breakthrough that initiated so much when I was 
pre-coming out, uh, started at a religious college. Uh, I would be in these ministry, whatever classes with seminary teachers at my Christian college. And I had this professor who always said, beliefs have consequences. Beliefs have implications. And he drilled this into our heads. The funny thing was he wanted us to believe a lot of things that I do not any longer believe. Uh, but that line, that idea stuck with me, right? That beliefs have consequences. And so I think I started to question a lot of things and really to go to look deeper, uh, as the name of this podcast would say, on a lot of things. Well, what if beliefs have consequences? And if, if you believe that about God, if you believe that about life, if you believe that about yourself, where is that going to lead you? And I think that really was the, the foundation, that first big breakthrough um, that set me up to do this work for myself and then to invite others into it is um, if beliefs have consequences, we, we really better do some work around what we believe. So that was a big one for me. I uh, Two things to say to that. One, Jordan Bach, love him. He was also kind of my, not first intro, but he's definitely quickly one of the first people that I found in this realm because Gabrielle Bernstein was my first person and they're like besties and like got on like a house on fire. So awesome. I love that he's your person that, you know, you found your way. And the second part is mistaken limiting, limiting beliefs is the hugest issue I see when working with somebody is that those things that you choose to believe can have repercussions later on down the line. And you grew up cultivating all these beliefs and all these limiting beliefs about yourself that may or may not be true, but it's doing the work to unpack those and be, okay, is this true for me right now? Or is this true for me back in the day? Has this evolved? Has this grown? And a lot of people don't dive into that work. So how do you dive into that work with somebody when you're working with them and kind of start touching upon those maybe possibly mistaken or limiting beliefs that they have about themselves? Yeah, you know, the thing that's complicated about beliefs is we have entire belief systems um, that operate both in a conscious and a subconscious realm. And I think it often goes, I hate to keep using the word deeper just because it's this podcast, but it is, it, it often is deeper than people think. And, you know, affirmations, for example, get a very bad rap because there's often a very surface level conversation that says, you know, for example, um, oh, you have a belief in scarcity. Well, why don't you just shift that into a belief about abundance? And that sounds good on the surface, but it's deeper than that. It's more complicated than that. And just telling somebody that is not going to necessarily move the needle for them, right? And, um, you know, I'll throw out an example specific to this conversation and I'll shout out one of my queer friends in the coaching space, Alexander James, uh, do you know Alexander James? Oh, <laughs> I always Alex. put people on the spot. I'm like, do you know this person? Which is such an awkward <laughs> do thing you to know do. <laughs> right. Well, and it's awkward for two reasons. Because one, sometimes people know them and they don't like them or they're not on good terms. That's also awkward. And sometimes you just don't know them. But anyway, I'll shout out Alexander James. Uh, I remember I was listening to uh, an interview he was doing one time. And he said, gay men, have you ever noticed that straight men don't feel the need to make sure their eyebrows are symmetrical? Uh, probably because, or that they look good in a Speedo, probably because they haven't been told that they were wrong for existing since birth. And which just hits deep. I mean, I hate if I, <laughs> sorry, I had to hear that in public. Um, but I, I bring that up as an example of that's the kind of thing we're talking about, that 
it, it, it is deeper than we think. It's not just, oh, I have a, a belief in scarcity, but it's, there's a deeper thing. I, I don't feel safe in my body. I don't feel like the universe is on my side or God or whatever I believe in is truly on my side. I don't feel supported by life. Like it is these deeper things. And, you, you know, we've, the only way to, to do the work is to unpack them. Uh, we really have to look at it. We have to open up that inner conversation. We have to go a step deeper than just the thoughts. And we do have to find those belief systems that are running the show. Um, and I, I mean, there's so many directions it can go. I guess the one thing I'll say here, I find beliefs and identity are often very connected. And so one very practical way to dig through the beliefs is to start looking at somebody's sense of identity. Um, and that example from Alexander that I shouted out, again, there's an identity thing at work there of, I was given by society, by my parents, by religion, I was given a belief that who I am is wrong. And now that's a belief system that's become an identity that subconsciously just exists. And, and so that's where I often begin with people is beliefs, identity, what's going on there? Because the chances are those two things are running your life. I 100% agree because a lot of the work that I do is around core identity, core belief, like who am I as a person and unpacking that kind of thing. And it's very different as like who you are at the core is not how you do things. Who you are at the core is not what you do. It's not your CEO job. It's not your marriage. It's not your relationship. It's not whether you're a good brother or a bad sister or these other things. It's that truth deeper down. Like I am a good person. I believe that I deserve good things, but you have to work through all the other stuff in order to get there first. Uh, it's interesting because I was having a conversation with somebody earlier today about being gay men and this kind of like thing we're born with, like from the get-go, we are told we are wrong and something is wrong with us. So already we are rejected by the world. And then we grow up and we try and intermingle with each other. And we have these kind of like rejection wounds because we believe these things that we've created for ourselves that the world has told us that you are not worthy. And thus, you know, say you're flirting with somebody and they reject you. Our rejection energy that we put out is so different than in the heterosexual world where a girl flirts with a guy and she rejects him and he turns around and goes and flirts with another girl. Like, it's just so easy for them to flow around. But when dealing with gay men, there's so much drama and things that flare up and like all of a sudden they turn on a dime. They're like, oh, I didn't like you anyways. Or those conversations that you've had where you're like, but you were just flirting with me. I don't understand what's happening right here. And it's because we play into those stories of, you know, core identity, core beliefs, mistaken beliefs, instead of like doing the work, we put up these walls because we've had to learn to put up those walls simply to survive. And so I wanna ask like through growing up in the religious background that you grew up, I'm curious as to like when you realize that for yourself that like, hey, I'm a little bit different than everybody else. And then how that story played out for you in regards to going to this school. And when did you decide to shift out of that and go, you know what, I need to follow my own path. I need to discover my own story. Yeah, I mean, it's a loaded question. <laughs> it's, a, it's a loaded story. Uh, what I would say is, in the narrative that I grew up with, it was very much an us versus them, good guys, bad guys, in group, out group kind of narrative, right? And 
you know, I always say, anytime I mention anything having to do with my parents, my mom, et cetera, I always say, I don't need to shout her out because I assure you she's not listening, but love you, mom, anyway, we'll send it out energetically. Um, but one of the most healing conversations I ever actually had with my mom that really did get us to a deeper place of understanding, and I don't know that I've ever shared this anywhere, um, is when I said to her, Mom, it occurs to me in this narrative of who's in and who's out that I grew up with that you very much believe in. You by nature, really separate from religious experience, um, you by nature have always seen yourself as a, as a good person, as one of the good ones, as a good girl who would be invited, who would be in, who would be the rule follower, and so you've never felt like I'm going to be the outsider. I'm going to be the rejected one. I'm going to be the outcast. That's, that's not how you see yourself. That's not your tendency of self-belief. That's not what your life experience has reflected. The reality of being gay in a fundamentalist religious cult was I always felt like the outsider. I always felt like the one who was about to be rejected in any moment. And, you know, when I was 12 years old, I had already figured out that I liked guys. Um, and, you know, I, I knew I was gay early on. I didn't, you know, I had never seen porn. I didn't really understand sex. It had nothing to do with that. There was no abuse or anything, you know, like conservatives often want to imply, but I knew I was gay. I knew who I was inwardly. And I remember when I was 12, I sat in a church discipline meeting at my parents' church and this man had come out and they were basically excommunicating him um, and saying, you know, you're not welcome here anymore. We don't talk to you. We don't reply to your messages online or emails. Uh, we don't anything. We, you know, we're, we are cutting you off. We are excommunicating you. And I sat there as a 12-year-old being like message received, you know what I mean? It would be better, you know, you come out, you're dead to them. It would be better to be dead than to be gay was really the message I got from this as so many of us have gotten. And, and so I always had this outsider, outcast, don't belong complex. So when I get to college and I'm processing, what do I believe about this thing we call God? That was the central question for me of whatever the divine force that we claim to be unconditional love is, right? Whatever that force is, whatever that power is, um, is it just on the side of a few chosen people? Or if it is really unconditional love, does God actually love everyone? And that was, that was a game-changing question for me. And Rob Bell was very instrumental. I read Love Wins a bunch of times at that point in my life. I read What We Talk About When We Talk About God a bunch of times at that point. And, you know, I know not everybody uses the, the God word and that's okay. But what we're talking about is this core shift of knowing that there is not a single human being that is separate from love. And uh, one of my favorite texts is The Way of Mastery. And there was a line that just wrecked me when I read it the first time in that text. And it says, despite all of your best efforts and despite everything you have been through, you have never ever been anything but the presence of love itself. And 
I mean, talk about an identity game changer. I mean, I just wept when I read that the first time. And I think that was the big shift for me. Um, for so long, I bought into, I'm bad, I'm evil, I'm shameful, I'm embarrassing, I'm an abomination, all of that stuff. And, and there are still moments where it's deep in my brain, deep in my nervous system somewhere from years and years and years of it being pushed in. But, but underneath even that, is that presence of love that's never gone anywhere. And so I think that's been, um, I think it's been really central for me. That is a lot to unpack, but also- <laughs> That was a lot in an answer. Hey, yeah. Um, but it is a heavy question. And I think it's a very loaded question for the gay community because this isn't just individual and unique to you. This is widespread for everybody. We come into this being rejected simply for being who we are. And then we have these experiences where, you know, you were in the church and they're like, you're a 12 year old boy, your brain's still developing. You're still trying to figure out the world. And here the world is telling you like, oh, you're wrong. And we're literally kicking you out because of it. That's how wrong and how bad you are. And the messages that that sends to you of like not belonging and not being worthy and not being good enough. And the unpacking you have to do if you even choose to do that a lot of people choose to not unpack that work or unpack that and do that work and you know life just goes on as is I'm very grateful that you did the work to unpack that and so I want to jump into that a little bit in regards to like the therapy and the aftermath of like having those realizations having those pivotal moments and then going okay well where do I start because that's where a lot of people are I think also in this pandemic they've been knocked over they've been knocked off their pedestals of like who they are or what they do that aspect of themselves and they're like oh I'm no longer this worker I'm no longer the CEO I'm no longer this person who holds this title I don't do that anymore having this midlife crisis they're kind of in that same space of like I need to start over how do I start doing this work so how did that journey look like for you I know you mentioned therapy and how did that play the role in uh, your life. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of coaches have these very sound bitey lines about therapy is the past and coaching is the present and the future. And I, I don't, I don't like to generalize, right? Because I know that there's a lot of therapists doing therapy in a lot of different ways, but I will speak to my own experience. And I will say for me, my therapy was four years of unpacking childhood. That actually was what it did for me. Um, and so there was a lot, you know, family dynamics, my relationship to my mom, my relationship to my dad, what I experienced in childhood, the messages that were sent consciously and subconsciously. Um, therapy was a lot of unpacking the past. And I, I, I do think I couldn't have moved forward without facing that. But I also know what was so powerful about coaching beginning to enter the picture is I did have to find new ways of being, right? Like, um, unpacking the past doesn't automatically inform how you want to show up now. And I did have to figure out these crucial questions of who am I? What do I believe? What do I want to do with my life? And what does it look like for me to show up as a gay man now? And there's so many questions there. You know, I grew up in a, a purity culture that shamed everybody, for example. What is my sex ethic now? Um, you know, I feel like I'm late in adolescence. How do I date now? There's so many of these questions that, yes, we need to heal the past trauma, but we also have to figure out who we want to be now. And that's where the work really started transitioning into for me. And um, 
that's uncomfortable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> what are but, you talking about? What do you mean? Isn't that just easy? <laughs> right. But, but the thing, the thing I know to be true about coaching is the places we don't want to go are usually the exact, I mean, we use the word breakthrough earlier. Those places are usually exactly where the breakthrough lies. And the best coaching sessions I have ever had in my life as a client, because I'm continually a client, continually being coached myself, um, the best client sessions I've had for myself have been the ones where I was uncomfortable, squirming, did not want to be there, get me off this call, oops, signal dropped, as people always say in Clubhouse when they need a little more time to answer the question, oh, the Wi-Fi suddenly went out. Um, And, you know, doing that work may be hella uncomfortable. It's also unavoidable if you want to move forward. And so, um, you know, one of the early, early, earliest people I discovered in personal development was Ianla Van Zant, And I remember just watching her show in those early days and hearing her say again and again, I've done my work. I'm here to help you do your work. And as we all do, I had work to do. I still have work to do. Um, you know, I, I'm stepping into new levels of certain things right now that's bringing up triggers. And here I am having work to do. Uh, and this may, you know, this... This is probably not going to be the most popular soundbite, but the truth of the matter is there is no bypass for doing the work, you know? A hundred and ten million percent. There is no bypass for doing the work. I'm I've done the same. It's like when you get squirming, you're like, oh, no, I don't need I'm fine here. I don't need to go there. And it's because that's exactly where you need to go, because that's where the stuff is that you need to get uncomfortable around. And I think one of the best ways to do that is like, inch your way in. I always work on a 1% model, like a 1% better at a time. So many times people focus on like, oh, I need to do everything all at once. This is so heavy. This is so much. And if you just break it down, you know how you eat an elephant one bite at a time, just break it down to those bite-sized pieces of like, cool, read this introductory book. Just do this one thing, you know, maybe find that one person who really inspires you and follow their teachings, watch their YouTube, like do these little things that build up that little bit of self-esteem, that little bit of stuff that you need to get yourself into that comfortable space so that maybe you do reach out and you do reach out to a coach that you resonate with or a therapist and you start unpacking that in a safe environment. I think that that's one of the things that a lot of people don't know or haven't experienced so they don't know is that you can't just go off and talk about this kind of stuff with your friends. Friends are great, but they're not trained on how to help you through it. And they don't always necessarily provide a safe space, even though they might be well-being and they want to help you. They don't know how to provide that safe space for you to build that muscle of being like, oh, I can be comfortable and safe and still unpack this stuff and still learn and still move through this stuff. Um, I love Ayanlan Vazant, by the way. Her biggest thing that I've taken away from her is um, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. Because so many times we make up these stories about people of like, oh no, but they're just doing this because of that. Or we're just doing that. Or you're in a relationship and you're like, nobody's really deep down. He's a great guy. Or when he's with me, he's a great guy. But then when people show you who they are, you need to start believing them and stop making up the stories of like who you want them to be. Um, Yeah. And, and let me just, we're just going to step on some toes for a moment here, but let me just say something to that because, um, 
you know, we, that is a very famous quote that many of us know, many of us live by. And I actually want to add to that because I think, you know, you and I met through Clubhouse. I'm very glad we did. But I think this is a very in the moment important reminder that I keep finding myself with, you know, in conversation with people about. Also, when someone really hasn't yet shown you all that much of who they are, just rush in. And I, you know, there's a, I love to quote this. There's a uh, psychologist named David Rico. He has an incredible book called Daring to Trust. I love it. I recommend it. When I was crying over a guy, it was helpful. And um, But in Daring to Trust, he talks about, and, and literally, I cannot tell you how many just friends, not even clients, but uh, including clients, but friends will tell me. Stefan, I think about investigative mode from David Rico on a daily basis because of you. And I'm like, I'm so happy to hear that. That is game changing. So this is the concept. When we rush in with trust for someone who really hasn't earned it, not because they're inherently bad, but just because we don't know them yet. We don't know them like that. When they reveal something more and it turns out to not be what we expected or what we wanted. If we rushed in too early with trust, it feels like a betrayal. And that's what hit me so hard when I was going through this over a guy is I was asking myself, like, how did I miss the signs? How did I get this so wrong? I never thought he would do this to me. Well, the truth was he hadn't earned that level of trust. I didn't know yet whether he was the kind of person who would or would not stand by with, me. you know, it, it was not that long of time. He had not earned that yet, but I rushed in with trust. And, and so David Rico says, stay in investigative mode. That doesn't mean that you have to be a bitch. That doesn't mean you're going to be judgy. That doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean you're being cynical about people. As I like to tell my clients, I just want you to observe, observe, observe. Y you know, let yourself be present. Listen to what they're saying. See how you feel watch what they're showing you. And until you really have enough information, stay in investigative mode. Because I think what's happening a lot, and to ref, because I referenced Clubhouse, I think what's happening a lot is people get one piece of data, right? Well, I liked them here. They were nice to me here. Well, they're hot on Instagram, if we're being real. Sometimes that's all the data people have. And then there's, there's no investigation of, do I even really like this person? And people just rush in you know, I want them to like me. I want to be friends with this person. I want to date them. I want to whatever. And we're rushing in without even the person really having time to show us who they are. So yes, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And if they haven't yet really shown you who they are, don't rush in with trust because this really is the difference maker. If you haven't yet given someone blind trust, when they show you something undesirable, it's not a betrayal. It's just a disappointment. And that is far, far easier to handle. I am living for this conversation. I'm giving a big applause right now because this is so crucially important. And earlier today, I was like during the conversation I had earlier today, I was also talking about um, people having this want to be chosen to be seen and this energy around that and that that's why we rush in so quickly because when we get that energy of like somebody's paying attention to me I'm important to somebody like I love this energy like yay I'm the center of attention we rush in because we want to go towards those good feelings but it's like you said if you go in too quickly and then you know you're met with this betrayal quote unquote 
it's not a betrayal. You just didn't take your time to actually get into the investigation mode and just be like, hey, this person's amazing. I really enjoy spending time with them. Let's go in this direction and see, you know, how things go on, but stay in that investigation mode. That is such a golden nugget. Thank you so much. Or for a gem, that. as we would say on Clubhouse. <laughs> a um, gem, yeah. You know, you know, I'm going to quote somebody else. And I, anybody who like has listened to me for five minutes knows I, I quote so many people because I, I, even from non-traditional like personal development sources, I am constantly taking in ideas and sitting with them and playing around with them. And I always, always, always try to give credit if I know an idea came from somewhere. Um, but I think about in, uh, in Taylor Swift's last stadium tour, which I attended repeatedly, um, I am <laughs> by the way. Um, and if you are a gay man that doesn't like Taylor Swift, please push stop now. Um, I'm kidding, but kind of. But uh, anyway, so in her last tour, she had this poem and she had this line that she repeated twice in the poem. And she initially says, I wanted a love that was really something, not the idea of something. And then at the end of the poem, she says, standing next to me was a love that was really something, not just the idea of something. And I think about this a lot in coaching. Um, and again, let me just come for some people's throats here, but there are a lot of people, you just have to observe, 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 observe. There are a lot of people in business and coaching spaces online that will sell you the idea of something and will be perfectly willing to get hyped with you about the idea of it. But if you watch over time, you notice the something is never panning out. And we're just getting hyped about the idea of something. And I think this really does happen with dating where we can have the idea of something in our head. And someone shows up and we, you know, again, we don't live in that investigative mode where we observe and we really let ourselves be present with who is this person? What are they showing me and how do I feel in their presence? But instead, instead of being present with that person's frequency, we latch onto our idea and we project the idea of the relationship, the idea of who they might be, the idea of what we could become. We, we project that onto them and we're not present with that. We're not present with them. We're not present with the moment. We're living in the idea of something. And, you know, I know it's funny that this concept is not in fact a coaching concept, but a Taylor Swift quote sung before, call it what you want about Joe Alwyn. But the thing is, it really could be a, and I just am unashamedly fangirl here. There's not many people I'm willing to be fangirl for and I am here. Um, but then I, and by the way, if you just jumped on the bandwagon at folklore, I mean, I don't even want to hear it, but anyway, um, the, the, my, I'm living, I'm so living right now. My, my point here is every time that I have moved from the idea of something to the reality of it, even if the reality was scary, even if the reality was new, even if the reality was deeply uncomfortable and out of the comfort zone, um, it was a game changer. And I, I do think for people listening, for people watching today, that could be a shift of what is it that you, you keep in this comfortable realm of, it feels good to have the idea of it, but I don't actually have to bring it into the now and actually have to change something within me. And you know, it, it, I promise you, it's worth it to move it from the realm of the idea to actually being present with it. So yes, I fully agree. And I want to dive into this a little bit deeper of 
maybe actionable steps or what people can do to start shifting away from like the projections of what they want and the ideas of like, oh, this could be amazing. This is like the love of my life and bring it back a little bit to live in the moment of like, this is the reality, this is the moment and not being cynical about it, but being real about it and getting to that space. How could that look for some people? What are some things that we can do? Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of things that come to mind. Um, I will give a dating example since we're just on a little, you know, tangent with this. Um, I have a fabulous coach named Danielle Randall shout out, love her. One day she said to me, you know, so many spiritual entrepreneurs in particular want their soulmate to show up, but they are absolutely opposed to going on a first date. And this is actually not a dating conversation, but, I, but I, I use this as like an example of the principle, right? There's a lot of people that want to end up with their dream relationship, right? But they don't enjoy dating. And so they actually will currently remain closed to the dream relationship because the process that leads to what they want doesn't feel like what they want. And this is a really big key. Like I'll, I'll give an example for me from the last two years. Um, I've really wanted to do more with television. And for a while, I was like, I'm not going to do anything that's not the absolute dream. And I was the person that was like, I like the idea of a soulmate. I don't want to be on a nap. I don't want to go on a date, but I want my soulmate. Could they just show up at my door, please? But I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to have to be rejected. I don't want to have to reject. I don't want to have a bad date. I don't, I'm not interested in any of that. But can the soulmate just show up, right? Lots of people have this pattern. And so I think the question we need to ask ourselves is, if I was on the path to the thing I say I want, what would that look like right now? Because we know on a metaphysical level, all we ever have is the present moment. And it's easy to keep it in the, the imaginary future, right? One of these days it's gonna happen. One of these days I'm gonna manifest it. One of these days it's gonna fall out of the sky. And that keeps us comfortable from having to do anything in the now. Um, and this is just a basic personal development principle, right? Everybody likes the idea of change until suddenly it shows up at their doorstep and they actually have to change, right? But the that work. is where it happens, um, right? And so that's, I think, the bottom line is what do you need to move from the future into the now? And if you were actually on track to what you say you want, what would you be doing right now? Probably because this is what I used to do. I'll, I'll just be honest about it because as I always tell people, and I, I say this facetiously in comedy rooms, but we all, I really do prefer this. Uh, but I always say Clubhouse is a place for honesty. Um, but it, in all honesty, we like it. Uh, here's what I used to do. I would have a meditation and I would go into a vision of the future and I would get excited and I would feel great. And I would be like this, this is going to be so incredible, right? So incredible. And then that would end. And then I would do nothing to move in the direction of any of that. And, and a lot of people do this, I think. And they believe that like, as long as I have the vision, as long as I'm excited about it. But here's the reality. We, you know, Andy Stanley says, we don't end up where we want. We end up at the destination of the path we're on. Yeah. And so I think that's really the gist of it here is what path are you on? And if you're not on the path to what you want, 
Don't just keep telling yourself it's going to manifest one day. Be really, really honest about what do I need to do to get on that path? A hundred percent. It's about doing the work. And I think a lot of people don't know how. I'm not going to say don't want to do the work, um, but there's maybe this idea of like work is hard. And so they don't want to do the work. They just want to have the payoff from it. They just want to have the instant gratification from it. They don't want to go through the process. But it, you know, taking it back to what I said earlier, it's that 1% idea, 1% better at a time. You have to take one step. If you're going to move across the street, you have to take a step and then another step and another step. You can't just imagine being on the other side of the street and be like, it's going to happen one day. I'm not going to walk towards it, but it's going to happen. Like, no, you have to actually take the steps to cross the street to get to the other side. And <clears throat> That might look like you, you know, starting off at the beginning, doing those small things that you're like, like you were talking about, you're like, oh, I only want to do the big shows, but I don't want to do any of the other small stuff. But how are you going to get to the big shows if you don't do the small stuff first? And it's so important as well, because that's where you learn the lessons. That's where you make the mistakes that you're like, oh, that didn't look so good. Or, oh, that answer wasn't so great. And you start to learn and collect all this information of like how to speak what works well, what doesn't work well, and what you like to talk about, what lights you up, so that when you do get to that place, I think it was Oprah that said, um, oh, I don't know, I'm going to butcher this, it's not a quote, but it's like about overnight success and how like overnight success just happens, or like that moment where you meet somebody and your life changes, it's opportunity meeting hard work is like the miracle. It doesn't just happen. If you want to be a singer and you meet somebody who's like, okay, sing for me right now, and then I'll give you a contract, you needed to do the work beforehand to practice your craft, to become a great singer. So that when that moment hits, you're like, yes, I am ready to sing. Instead of being like, oh, well, this moment always, I always wanted this moment. Now it's here and I don't know how to perform because I've not practiced the steps to get there. And to take it back into the dating realm, because um, that's always a hot topic. My roommate says something along the same lines of like, you know, he you're on Tinder, you're on all the apps and it's and you're on Hinge and whatnot. And you have to go through all the ones that aren't gonna work out because that's doing the work. And every time you meet somebody, you're gonna learn something new. You're gonna learn something new about yourself, what you like, what you don't like. You're gonna learn something new about other people. And eventually after doing the work, you'll find somebody who it's like, you know, you've done the investigation work and you're like, yeah, me and this person could really be something great. I'm gonna stay curious about it and I'm gonna do the work. But a lot of people are just like, no, I just want the instant gratification. I just wanna get there. I just want it to be magical right away. Yeah. And, I, you know, I feel like I sound like a cantankerous grandpa talking about, you know, the perils of social media. Um, but but here's the thing. We, I love social media as much as anybody. We're connected right now, be, literally because of it. But we also have to be honest about how things affect our brains, right? Like, I think it's a very healthy, smart thing to do to be aware of how something affects you. And we need to be aware that social media wires us for instant feedback and, and it wires our brains to look for that instant validation. I mean, I have to walk clients off the ledge with, well, I put up this post and I don't think my audience responded to it. And it's like, you know, for example, from a sales perspective, Number one, the best clients are often silent onlookers that don't engage. Number two, you just put this up 32 minutes ago. We haven't even given the algorithm time. We don't know how well it's gonna, like, but, but, the, but it's wired our brains to look for that instant reward. And the problem is 
so many of us look for the quick dopamine hits that don't come from being in the process. And I believe in process. I think it is underrated. I think it is so important. And to talk about this, I, I love this concept of getting in the room because, um, you know, right now in the entrepreneurial, all of that space uh, on Clubhouse, everybody is trying to get, you know, I need to get into the room with the right investor, with the right person, close the deal, get the sale, get the client. And I also work with people in entertainment a lot. And of course, in the world of Hollywood, everybody wants to get into the room. And you know what I found, Callan, is there's a lot of conversation about how do you get into the room? There's not as much conversation about can you show up and hold your own when you're in the room? And it's exactly what, this is why Oprah talks about this. If you're not ready when you get into the room, if you can't show up and shine when you're in the room, and, and all of these are principles that apply across all of these areas. We're talking about Hollywood, we're talking about dating, we're talking about life. If you can't meet the moment when you're in the room, getting in the room isn't gonna do it for you. A hundred percent. And I love that you said this for just to catch everybody up who's listening. If you don't know, Clubhouse is a new app, like a new social app. And it's kind of like I describe it as like a hybrid of like podcasting meets like live audience interaction podcasting. So it's all voiceover. It's on iOS right now. It's still in beta, but that's where we met. And um, there's these rooms where people can go on stage, like quote unquote stage, and they're the speakers, then moderators, and then you have the listeners and the moderators can bring people up on stage to talk or to ask questions. So there's a lot of like very big, you know, multi-million entrepreneurs on there who are giving away a lot of their advice in how they grew their businesses. So it's very interconnected and it has that personability of voice and being engaged. But exactly what you just said, if you don't practice that skill, you're going to freeze up when you get to the stage, even though that that's your dream. I need to get there. I need to be there. That's where it's all going to happen. No, though, it's going to happen through the little steps, through the work to get there. And I actually met this girl in this room. We're going to have a room this Friday. Um, well, actually, the podcast will be after that. Anyways, we'll have done this room. Um, but it's it's talking about, we got into a room talking about authentic relating in business and how that's actually how you grow business. And we just got so engaged in the conversation of like, growing your business from an authentic space of just being who you are and really caring and having those open conversations and that dialogue. And I quite prefer the smaller rooms where you do get to practice those abilities of like talking, speaking, listening, being on stage, having your moment and like really refining those Wait, I'm way beyond like that whole being on a big stage thing is way beyond me right now. I'm like, no, I just want to get good at enjoying this so that when I do get to a space where maybe I am in a bigger room and I do have a bigger audience to speak to, I'm comfortable, I'm collected and I enjoy it as opposed to being scared shitless about it. And that is the process. That's part of going through that, the stages of getting to where you want to be. Well, I'll tell you a secret. The big stages are overrated. Uh, <laughs> I fully agree. <laughs> well, well, and I'll say it in this perspective. Um, when I first got to LA, I would constantly see searchlights in the night sky. And, you know, I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. We rarely, if ever, had searchlights. And so I would see them. And when I was first in LA, I would be like, oh my God, so much is happening in this town. And I would be so curious about what is happening, where those searchlights are, what am I missing out on? And 
in those early days of being in Southern California, a couple of times I would actually drive to where, like drive to, to try to follow the searchlights. And I only did this a couple of times, but every time I was disappointed because wherever it led me was like, you know, a teenager's bar mitzvah or a cheap strip club opening, or like, it, it was always a letdown. And I started to realize, and isn't this true that like what is evident in the physical world is often illustrating what's evident in the invisible realm. And so I started calling this the searchlights principle that don't get distracted just because the searchlights are the bright flashy distraction because I started to realize that's not where the cool people are. That's not where the stuff is going down. That is just a shiny distraction. And that is just true for so many things in life and in business. If you can learn to not believe that every time searchlights flash and get your attention, that you need to, to, to drive there and see what it is, um, it will save you so much money. It will save you so much time. It will save you so much heartbreak. Um, but, but the truth of the matter is I have gotten the best relationships, the best leads, you know, how, from any angle that we want to look at it from smaller targeted rooms where we attracted people to the right conversation. Um, the big rooms are fine, but you know, when, and I don't want to go down, there's people listening to this who don't care, don't know, don't want close, but, but all of that to say, the searchlights are not where it's at most of the time. And the, the, you know, I just always remember the vivid experience of a Saturday night delaying meeting my friends in West Hollywood because I was chasing these searchlights out of curiosity uh, and only to end up at this like cheap strip club off an exit. And I was like, never again will I be distracted by the searchlights. So uh, I swear by that principle. Right. Don't get distracted by the big shiny thing you want at the end of the tunnel. Focus on the step that you're taking next, because the big that shiny thing at the end of the tunnel often also scares us. But that's a good thing. It's supposed to scare us because that means it's important to us. But if you just focus on it, it's going to scare you so much that you won't move towards it. If you focus right. on the next step and the next step and the next step, all of a sudden you'll look up and you'll be there and you'll be like, oh, I'm here. And then you'll be the one in the shining lights. You'll have those big, you know, searchlights going off and you'll be like, oh, well, this is cool. I just kind of got here because I did the work to get there. I love this conversation that we've been having. I think it was very, very good for everybody listening. Um, is there any like last tips or things you want to end off with before we, we close things out here? Well, uh, I will stay true to my core. There are three things that I believe in more than anything else. Uh, and that is unconditional love, absolute wholeness, and infinite possibility. So I will end by saying... Uh, that whoever you are and however you got here, you are unconditionally loved, you are absolutely whole, and all things are possible. That is beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. If people want to know more about you, where can they find you, Stefan? Yeah, um, you know, I don't even give a website. I mean, I have one, obviously, but I just think Instagram is like the one-stop shop. I think it is the business card of the moment, uh, and Clubhouse has even enhanced that once again. So Dr. Lovegrove on Instagram, uh, come say hello. And uh, yeah, let's be friends.
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And everybody who's listening, please make sure you go and subscribe anywhere you're listening to the podcast. Give it a thumbs up. Uh, follow us, subscribe to the Gay Men's Brotherhood, uh, YouTube, and all that good stuff. So have the best day ever. Peace, love, rainbows. And bye, everybody.